Section 84 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the emptying of the London cesspools by pump and hose. Having now ascertained the quantity of wet house refuse annually deposited in the cesspools of the metropolis, the next step is to show the means by which these 15 million cubic feet of cesspoolage are removed, and whence they are conveyed, as well as the condition of the labourers engaged in the business. There are two methods of removing the soil from the tanks, one by pump and hose, or the hydraulic method, two by shovel and tube, or manual labour. The first of these is the new French mode, and the other the old English method of performing the work. The distinctive feature between the two is that in the one case the refuse is discharged by means of pipes into the sewers, and in the other that it is conveyed by means of carts to some distant night-yard. According to the French method, therefore, the cesspoolage ultimately becomes sewage, the refuse being deposited in a cesspool for a greater or a less space of time, and finally discharged into the sewers so that it is a kind of intermediate process between the cesspool system and the sewer system of defecating a town, being, as it were, a compound of the two. The great advantage of the sewer system, as contradistinguished from the cesspool system of defecation, is that it admits of the wet refuse being removed from the neighbourhood of the house as soon as it is produced, while the advantage of the cesspool system, as contradistinguished from the sewer system, is that it prevents the contamination of the river whence the town draws its principal supply of water. The cesspool system of defecation remedies the main evil of the sewer system, and the sewer system the main evil of the cesspool system. The French mode of emptying cesspools, however, appears to have the peculiar property of combining the ill effects of both systems without the advantages of either. The refuse of the house not only remains rotting and seething for months under the noses of the household, but it is ultimately, that is, after more than a year's decomposition, washed into the stream from which the inhabitants are supplied with water, and so returned to them diluted in the form of aqua pura, for washing, cooking or drinking. The sole benefit accruing from the French mode of nightmanship is that it performs a noisome operation in a comparatively cleanly manner. But surely this is a small compensation for the evils attendant upon it. The noses of those who prefer stagnant cesspools to rapid sewers cannot be so particularly sensitive that for the sake of avoiding the smell of the nightman's cart, they would rather that its contents should be discharged into the water that they use for household purposes. The hydraulic or pump-and-hose method of emptying the cesspools is now practised by the Court of Sewers, who introduced the process into London in the winter of 1847. The apparatus used in this country consists of a hydraulic pump, which is generally placed six or eight feet distant from, but sometimes close to, the cesspool, indeed on its edge. It is worked by two men, just up and down, as one of the labourers described it to me, like a fire engine. A suction pipe with an iron nozzle is placed in the cesspool, into which is first introduced a deodorising fluid, in the proportion, as well as can be estimated, of a pint to a square yard of matter, and diluted with water from the fire plugs. The pipes are of leather, the suction pipes being wrapped with spring iron wire at the joints. 
India-rubber pipes were used, and answered very tidy, one of the gangers told me, but they were too expensive, the material being soon worn out. They were only tried five or six months. The pipes now employed differ in no respect of size or appearance from the leathern fire-engine pipes, and as the work is always done in the daytime, and no smell arises from it, the neighbourhood is often alarmed, and people begin to ask where the fire is. One outside man said, Why, that's always asked. I've been asked, aye, I dare say a hundred times in a day, where's the fire, where's the fire? A cesspool by this process has been emptied into a sewer at three hundred yards distant. The pipe is placed within the nearest gully hole, down which the matter is washed into the sewer. When the cesspool is emptied, it is well sluiced with water. The water is pumped into the sewer, and then the work is complete. The pumping is occasionally very hard work, making the shoulders and back ache grievously. Indeed, some cesspools have been found so long neglected, and so choked with rags and rubbish, that manual labour had to be resorted to, and the matter dug and tubbed out, after the old mode of the nightman. A square yard of cesspoolage is cleared out, under ordinary circumstances, in an hour, while an average duration of time for the cleansing of a regularly sized cesspool is from three to four hours. A pneumatic pump with an iron cart, drawn by two horses, similar to the French invention, was tried as an experiment, but discontinued in a fortnight. For the hydraulic method of emptying cesspools, a gang of four men, under the direction of a ganger, who makes a fifth, is required. The division of labour is as follows. 1. The pumpmen, who, as their name implies, work the engine or pumps. 2. The holeman, who goes into the cesspool and stirs up the matter, so as to make it as fluid as possible. 3. The outside man, whose business it is to attend to the pipe, which reaches from the cesspool along the surface of the street, or other place, to the gully hole. 4. The ganger, who is the superintendent of the hole, and is only sometimes present at the operation. He is not unfrequently engaged, while one cesspool is being emptied, in making an examination or any necessary arrangement for the opening of another. He also gives notice, acting under the instruction of the clerk of the works, to the water company of the district, that the pumps will be at work in this or that place, a notice generally given a day in advance, and the water is supplied gratuitously from a street fire-plug, and used at discretion, some cesspool contents requiring three times more water than others to liquefy them sufficient for pumping. The cesspool pumping gangs are six in number, each consisting of five men, although the outside man is sometimes a strong youth of seventeen or eighteen. The whole work is done by a contractor, who makes an agreement with the court of sewers, and finds the necessary apparatus appointing his own labourers. All the present labourers, however, have been selected as trusty men from among the flushermen, the contractor concurring in the recommendation of the clerk of the works, or the inspector. The cesspool sewermen work in six districts, two divisions, east and west, of Westminster, Finsbury and Holborn, Surrey and Kent, Tower Hamlets, now including Poplar, and the city. The districts vary in size, but there is usually a gang devoted to each. In case of emergency, however, a gang from another district, as among the flushermen, is sent to expedite any pressing work. All the men are paid by the job, the payment being two shillings each per job, to the pumpmen and holemen, 
and three shillings to the ganger. But in addition to the two shillings per job, the holeman has sixpence a day extra, and the outside man has sixpence a day deducted from the four shillings he would earn in two jobs, which is a frequent day's work. The men told me that they had four or four and a half days' work, or eight or nine jobs, every week. But such was the case more particularly when the householders were less cognizant of the work and did not think of resorting to it. Now, I am assured, the men's average employment may be put at five days a week, or ten jobs. The perquisites of these workmen are none, except the householder sends them some refreshment on his own accord. There may be a perquisite, but very rarely, occurring to the holeman, should he find anything in the soil, but the finding is far less common than among the nightmen, with whom the process goes through different stages. I did not hear among cesspool sewermen of anything being found by them or by their comrades. Of course, when the soil is once absorbed into the pipe, it is unseen on its course of deposit down the gully hole. The men have no trade societies, and no arrangements of any equivalent nature, no benefit clubs or sick clubs, for which their number indeed is too small, or, as my informant sometimes wound up in a climax, No, nothing that way, sir. They are sober and industrious men, chiefly married, and with families. Into further statistics, however, of diet, rent, and so on, I need not enter, concerning so small a body, they are the same as among other well-conducted labourers. The men find their own dresses, which are of the same cost, form and material, as I have described to pertain to the flushermen, also their own picks and shovels, costing respectively two shillings sixpence and two shillings threepence each. One cesspool sewerman told me that when he was first a member of one of those gangs, he was awful abused by the regular nightmen if he came across any of them, as was beery, poor fellows. But that had all passed over now. The total sum paid to the six gangs of labourers in the course of the year would, at the rate of ten cesspools emptied per week, amount to the following. Twelve pumpmen, ten jobs a week each, twenty shillings per week, or fifty-two pounds per year each, yearly total six hundred and twenty-four pounds. Six holemen, ditto ditto, with two shillings sixpence a week extra, yearly total three hundred and fifty one pounds. Six outside men, twenty shillings a week, less by sixpence a day, or two shillings sixpence a week, forty five pounds ten shillings a year, yearly total two hundred and ninety six pounds. Six gangers, thirty shillings a week each, or eight pounds per year, yearly total four hundred and sixty eight pounds. Yearly total of all, £1,739. Any householder and so on who applies to the court of sewers, or to any officer of the court whom he may know, has his cesspool cleansed by the hydraulic method, in the same way as he might employ any tradesman to do any description of work proper to his calling. The charge by the court of sewers is five shillings or six shillings per square yard, according to pipage and so on required. A cesspool emptied by this system costs from 20 shillings to 30 shillings. The charges of the nightmen who have to employ horses and so on are necessarily higher. Estimating that throughout London 60 cesspools are emptied by the hydraulic method every week, or 3,120 every year, and the charge for each to be, on an average, 25 shillings, we have for the gross receipts 3,120 times 25 shillings 
equal to £3,900. And deducting from this the sum paid for labour, £1,739, it shows a profit of £2,161. This is upwards of 123%, but out of this interest on capital and wear and tear of machinery have to be paid. During the year 1851, I am credibly informed that as many as 3,000 sewers were emptied by the hydraulic process, and calculating each to have contained the average quantity of refuse, namely 5 tonnes or loads, or about 180 cubic feet, we have an aggregate of 540,000 cubic feet of cesspoolage ultimately carried off by the sewers. This, however, is only a 27th of the entire quantity. The sum paid in wages to the men engaged in emptying these 3,000 cesspools by the hydraulic process would, at the rate of two shillings per man to the four members of the gang and three shillings to the ganger, or eleven shillings in all for each cesspool, amount to £1,650, which is £139 and 250 cesspools less than the amount above given. Statement of a Cesspool Sewerman I give the following brief and characteristic statement, which is peculiar in showing the habitual restlessness of the mere labourer. My informant was a stout, hale-looking man who had rarely known illness. All these sort of labourers, nightmen included, scout the notion of the cholera attacking them. Work, sir? Well, I think I do know what work is, and has known it since I was a child, and then I was set to help at the weaving. My friends were weavers at Norwich, and twenty-six years ago, until steam pulled working men down from being well paid and well off, it was a capital trade. Why, my father could sometimes earn three pounds at his work as a working weaver. There was money for ever then. Now twelve shillings a week is, I believe, the tip-top earnings of his trade. But I didn't like the confinement or the close air in the factories, and so when I grew big enough I went to groundwork in the city. Note, so he frequently called Norwich. End note. I call groundwork such as digging drains and the like. Then I listed into the marines. Oh, I hardly know what made me. Men does foolish things and don't know why. It's human nature. I'm sure it wasn't the bounty of three pounds that tempted me, for I was doing middling and sometimes had night work as well as groundwork to do. I was then sent to Sheerness and put on board the Thunderer, man of war, carrying eighty-four guns as a marine. She sailed through the straits, note off Gibraltar, end note, and was three years and three months blockading the Dardanelles and cruising among the islands. I never saw anything like such fortifications as at the Dardanelles. Why, there was mortars there as would throw a ton weight. No, I never heard of their having been fired. Yes, we sometimes got leave for a party to go ashore on one of the islands. They called them Greek islands, but I fancy as how it was Turks near the Dardanelles. Oh yes, the men on the islands was civil enough to us. They never spoke to us, and we never spoke to them. The sailors sometimes, and indeed the lot of us, would have bits of larks with them, laughing at them and taking sights at them and such like. Why, I've seen a fine-dressed Turk, one of their grand gentlemen there, when a couple of sailors has each been taking a sight at him, and dancing the shuffle along with it, make each of them a low bow, as solemn as could be. Perhaps he thought it was a way of being civil in our country. I've seen many of the head ones stuck over with so many knives and cutlasses and belts and pistols and things 
that he looked like a cutler's shop window. We were ordered home at last, and after being some months in barracks, which I didn't relish at all, were paid off at Plymouth. Oh, a barrack life's anything but pleasant, but I've done with it. After that I was eight years and a quarter a gentleman's servant, coachman, or anything, note in Norwich, end note, and then got tired of that and came to London, and got to ground and new sewer work, and have been on the sewers above five years. Yes, I prefer the sewers to the Greek islands. I was one of the first set as worked a pump. There was a great many spectators, I dare say as there was forty scientific gentlemen. I've been on the sewers, flushing and pumping, ever since. The houses we clean out all says it's far the best plan, ours is. Never no more nightmen, they say. You see, sir, our plan's far less trouble to the people in the house, and there's no smell. Least I never found no smell. And it's cheap, too. In time, the nightmen'll disappear. In course they must. There's so many new dodges comes up. Always some one of the working classes is a-being ruined. If it ain't steam, it's something else as knocks the bread out of their mouths quite as quick. Of the present disposal of the night soil. It would appear, according to the previous calculations, that of the 15 million cubic feet of house refuse annually deposited in the cesspools of the metropolis, about 500,000 cubic feet are pumped by the French process into the sewers. Consequently, there still remains about 14,500,000 cubic feet, or about 404,000 loads, to be disposed of by other means. I shall now proceed to explain how the cesspillage proper, that is to say, that which is removed by cartage, rather than by being discharged into the sewers, is ultimately got rid of. Until about twenty months ago, when the new sanitary regulations concerning the disposal of night soil came into operation, the cesspool matter was shot into a night yard, generally also a dust yard. These were the yards of the parish contractors, and were situate in Maiden Lane, Paddington, and so on and so on. Any sweeper nightman, or any nightman, was permitted by the proprietor of one of these places to deposit his night soil there. For this, the depositor received no payment, the privilege of having a shoot being accounted sufficient. There were, till within these six or eight years, I was informed, sixty places where cesspool manure could be shot. These included the nightman's yards and the wharfs of manure dealers, some of the small coasting vessels taking it as ballast. But as regards the cesspool filth, there are now none of these places of deposit, though some little, I was told, might be done by stealth. Of one of these night-yard factories, Dr. Gavin gave, in 1848, the following account. Quote, On the western side of Spitalfields Workhouse, and entering from a street called Queen Street, is a nightman's yard, a heap of dung and refuse of every description, about the size of a tolerably large house, lies piled to the left of the yard. To the right is an artificial pond, into which the contents of cesspools are thrown. The contents are allowed to desiccate in the open air, and they are frequently stirred for that purpose. The odour which was given off when the contents were raked up, to give me an assurance that there was nothing so very bad in the alleged nuisance, drove me from the place with the utmost speed. On two sides of this horrid collection of excremental matter was a patent manure manufactory. To the right in this yard was a large accumulation of dung and so on, but to the left there was an extensive layer of a compost of blood, ashes and nitric acid, 
which gave out the most horrid, offensive, and disgusting concentration of putrescent odours it has ever been my lot to be the victim of. The whole place presented a most foul and filthy aspect, and an example of the enormous outrages which are perpetrated in London against society. It is a curious fact that the parties who had charge of these two premises were each dead to the foulness of their own most pestilential nuisances. The nightman's servant accused the premises of the manure manufacturer as the source of perpetual foul smells, but thought his yard free from any particular cause of complaint, while the servant of the patent manure manufacturer diligently and earnestly asserted the perfect freedom of his master's yard from foul exhalations but considered that the raking up of the drying night soil on the other side of the wall was quite awful and enough to kill anybody. Immediately adjoining the patent manure manufactory is the establishment of a bottle merchant. He complained to me in the strongest terms of the expenses and annoyances he had been put to through the emanations which floated in the atmosphere, having caused his bottles to spoil the wine which was placed in such as had not been very recently washed. He was compelled frequently to change his straw, and frequently to wash his bottles, and considered that unless the nuisance could be suppressed, he would be compelled to leave his present premises. This and similar places were suppressed soon after the passing of the sanitary measures of September 1848. The cesspool refuse, which was disposed of for manure, was at that time first shot into recesses in the nightyard, where it was mixed with exhausted hops procured from the brewhouses, which were said to absorb the liquid portions when stirred up with the matter, and to add not only to the consistency of the mass, but to its readier portability for land manure or for storage in a barge. It was also mixed with littered straw from the mews and with stable manure generally. An old man who had worked many years, he did not know how many, in one of these yards, told me that when this night soil was fresh shot and first mixed, the stench was often dreadful. How we stood it, he said, I don't know, but we did stand it. In one of the night and dust yards, I ascertained that as many as fifty loads, half of them wagon loads, have been shot from the proprietor's own carts, and from the carts of the nightmen using the yard in one morning, but the average shoot was about ten loads, half a wagon, a day, for six days in the week. Of the mode of manufacture of this manure, a full account has been given in the details of the cesspool system of Paris, for the process was the same in London, although on a much smaller scale. And indeed the manufacture here was chiefly in the hands of Frenchmen. The manure was, after it had been deposited for periods varying from one month to five or six, sold to farmers and gardeners at from four shillings to five shillings the cartload although four shillings, I was informed, might have been the general average. The cesspool matter, considered per se, was not worth, of late years, I am told, above two shillings, a ton, or a load, which is sometimes rather more and sometimes less than a ton. It was when mixed that the price was four shillings to five shillings a ton. This cesspool filth was shot on the premises of the manufacturer gratuitously, as it was in any of the nightyards. It was not until it had been kept some time, and had been mixed generally with other manures, and sometimes with road sweepings, that this manure was used in gardens, for it was said that if this had not been done, its ammoniacal vapours would have been absorbed and retained by the leaves of the fruit trees. 
This night-soil manure was devoted to two purposes, to the manufacture of deodorised and portable manure for exportation, chiefly to our sugar-growing colonies, and to the fertilisation of the land around London. When manufactured into manure, it was shipped, in new casks generally, the manure casks of the outward voyage being transformed into the brown sugar casks of the homeward-bound vessels. I was told by a seaman who some years ago sailed to the West Indies that these manure casks in damp weather gave out an unpleasant odour. It was only to the home cultivators who resided at no great distance from a nightyard, from five to six miles or a little more, that this manure was sold to be carted away, their attendance at the markets with carts, wagons and horses, giving them facilities of conveying the manure at a cheap rate. But upwards of three-fourths of the whole was sent in barges into the more distant country parts, having a ready water communication either by the Thames or by canal. The purchaser nearer home conveyed it away in his own cart and with his own horses, which had perhaps come up to town laden with cabbages to Covent Garden or hay to Cumberland Market, the cart being made watertight for the purpose. The legal hours to be observed in the cleansing of cesspools and the transport of the contents upon such cleansing not being required to be observed in this second transport of the cesspool manure, it was carted away at any hour, as stable dung now is. It is not possible at the present time, when nightyards are no longer permitted to exist in London and the manufacture of the night soil manure is consequently suppressed, to ascertain the precise quantities disposed of commercially in a former state of things. The money returns to the master nightman for the manure he now collects need no figures. The law requires him to refrain from shooting this soil in his own yard or in any inhabited part of the metropolis, and it is shot on the nearest farm to which he has access, merely for the privilege of shooting it, the farmer paying nothing for the deposit, with which he does what he pleases. It is mixed with other refuse, I was told, at present, and kept as compost or used on the land, but the change is too recent for the establishment of any systematic traffic in the article. Of the Working Nightman and the Mode of Work Night work, by the provisions of the Police Act, is not to be commenced before twelve at night, nor continued beyond five in the morning, winter and summer alike. This regulation is known among the nightmen as the legal hours, and tends, in a measure, to account for the heterogeneous class of labourers who still seek night work, for strong men think little of devoting a part of the night, as well as the working hours of the day, to toil. A rubbish carter, a very powerfully built man, told me he was partial to night work, and always looked out for it, even when in daily employ, as it was sometimes like found money. The scavengers, sweeps, dustmen and labourers, known as ground workers, are anxious to obtain night work when out of regular employment, and ten years or more since it was often an available and remunerative resource. Night work is then essentially, and perhaps necessarily, extra work, rather than a distinct calling followed by a separate class of workers. The generality of nightmen are scavengers, or dustmen, or chimney-sweepers, or rubbish-carters, or pipe-layers, or ground-workers, or coal-porters, carmen, or stablemen, or men working for the market-gardeners round London, all either in or out of employment. 
Perhaps there is not at the present time in the whole metropolis a working nightman who is solely a working nightman. It is almost the same with the master nightmen. They are generally master chimney sweepers, scavengers, rubbish carters and builders. Some of the contractors for the public street scavengery and the house dustbin emptying are or have been among the largest employers of nightmen, but only in their individual trading capacity for they have no contracts with the parishes concerning the emptying of cesspools. Indeed, the parish or district corporations have nothing to do with the matter. I have already shown that among the best patronised master nightmen are now the commissioners of the court of sewers. For how long a period the master and working chimney sweepers and scavengers have been the master and labouring nightmen, I am unable to discover, but it may be reasonable to assume that this connection, as a matter of trade, existed in the metropolis at the commencement of the 18th century. The police of Paris, as I have shown, have full control over cesspool cleansing, but the police of London are instructed merely to prevent night work being carried on at a later or earlier period than the legal hours. Still, a few minutes either way are not regarded and the legal hours, I am told, are almost always adhered to. Night work is carried on, and has been so carried on, within the memory of the oldest men in the trade, who had never heard their predecessors speak of any other system, after this method. A gang of four men, exclusive of those who have the care of the horses, and who drive the night carts to and from the scenes of the men's labours at the cesspools, are set to work. The labour of the gang is divided though not with any individual or especial strictness, as follows. 1. The holeman, who goes into the cesspool and fills the tub. 2. The ropeman, who raises the tub when filled. 3. The tubmen, of whom there are two, who carry away the tub when raised and empty it into the cart. The mode of work may be thus briefly described. Within a foot, or even less sometimes, though often as much as three feet, below the surface of the ground, when the cesspool is away from the house, is what is called the main hole. This is the opening of the cesspool, and is covered with flagstones, removable wholly or partially, by means of the pickaxe. If the cesspool be immediately under the privy, the flooring and so on is displaced. Should the soil be near enough to the surface, the tub is dipped into it, drawn out, the filth scraped from its exterior with a shovel, or swept off with a besom, or washed off by water flung against it with sufficient force. This done, the tubmen insert the pole through the handles of the tub, and bear it on their shoulders to the cart. The mode of carriage and the form of the tub have been already shown in an illustration which I was assured by a nightman who had seen it in a shop window, for he could not read, was as natural as life, tub and all, Thus far, the ropeman and the holeman generally aid in filling the tub, but as the soil becomes lower, the vessel is let down and drawn up full by the ropeman. When the soil becomes lower still, a ladder is usually planted inside the cesspool. The holeman, who is generally the strongest person in the gang, descends, shovels the tub full, having stirred up the refuse to loosen it, and the contents, being drawn up by the ropeman, are carried away as before described. The labour is sometimes severe. The tub, when filled, though it is never quite filled, weighs rarely less than eight stone, and sometimes more. But that, you see, sir, a nightman said to me, depends on the nature of the sile. 
Beer and bread and cheese are given to the nightmen, and frequently gin, while at their work. But as the bestowal of the spirit is voluntary, some householders, from motives of economy, or from being real or pretended members or admirers of the total abstinence principles, refuse to give any strong liquor. And in that case, if such a determination to withhold the drink be known beforehand, the employers sometimes supply the men with a glass or two, and the men, when nothing better can be done, club their own money and send to some night house, often at a distance, to purchase a small quantity on their own account. One master nightman said he thought his men worked best, indeed he was sure of it, with a drop to keep them up. Another thought it did them neither good nor harm, in a moderate way of taking it. Both these informants were themselves temperate men, one rarely tasting spirits. It is commonly enough said that if the nightmen have no allowance, they will work neither as quickly nor as carefully as if accorded the customary gin perquisite. One man, certainly a very strong, active person, whose services, where quickness in the work was indispensable, might be valuable, and he had work as a rubbish carter also, told me that he for one would not work for any man at night work if there was not a fair allowance of drink, to keep up his strength, and he knew others of the same mind. On my asking him what he considered a fair allowance, he told me that at least a bottle of gin among the gang of four was looked for, and mostly had, over a gentleman's cesspool, and little enough too, the man said, among four of us, what it holds if it's public house gin is uncertain, for you must know, sir, that some bottles has great kicks at their bottoms, but I should say that there's been a bottle of gin drunk at the clearing of every two, ay, and more than every two, out of three cesspools emptied in London. And now that I come to think on it, I should say that's been the case with three out of every four. Some master nightmen, and more especially the sweeper nightmen, work at the cesspools themselves, although many of them are men well-to-do in the world. One master I met with, who had the reputation of being warm, spoke of his own manual labour in shovelling filth in the same self-complacent tone that we may imagine might be used by a grocer worth his plum who quietly intimates that he will serve a washerwoman with her half ounce of tea and weigh it for her himself, as politely as he would serve a duchess, for he wasn't above his business, neither was the nightman. On one occasion I went to see a gang of nightmen at work. Large horn lanterns, for the night was dark, though at intervals the stars shone brilliantly, were placed at the edges of the cesspool. Two poles also were temporarily fixed in the ground, to which lanterns were hung, but this is not always the case. The work went rapidly on, with little noise and no confusion. The scene was peculiar enough. The artificial light, shining into the dark, filthy-looking cavern or cesspool, threw the adjacent houses into a deep shade. All around was perfectly still, and there was not an incident to interrupt the labour, except that at one time the window of a neighbouring house was thrown up, a night-capped head was protruded, and then down was banged to the sash with an impatient curse. It appeared as if a gentleman's slumbers had been disturbed, though the nightman laughed and declared it was a lady's voice. The smell, although the air was frosty, was for some little time, perhaps ten minutes, literally sickening. After that period, the chief sensation experienced was a slight headache the unpleasantness of the odour still continuing, though without any sickening effect. 
The nightmen, however, pronounced the stench nothing at all, and one even declared it was refreshing. The cesspool in this case was so situated that the cart, or rather wagon, could be placed about three yards from its edge. Sometimes, however, the soil has to be carried through a garden and through the house, to the excessive annoyance of the inmates. The nightmen whom I saw evidently enjoyed a bottle of gin, which had been provided for them by the master of the house, as well as some bread and cheese and two pots of beer. When the wagon was full, two horses were brought from a stable on the premises, an arrangement which can only be occasionally carried out, and yoked to the vehicle, which was at once driven away, a smaller cart and one horse being used to carry off the residue. End of section 84